The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Mark. Glory to you, Lord Christ. When Jesus and his disciples left the synagogue, they entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now, Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they told him about her at once. He came and took her by the hand and lifted her up. Then the fever left her, and she began to serve them. That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or possessed with demons, and the whole city was gathered around the door, and he cured many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. In the morning, while it was still dark, he got up and went out to a deserted place, and there he prayed. And Simon and his companions hunted for him. When they found him, they said to him, Everyone is searching for you. He answered, Let us go on to the neighboring towns, so that I may proclaim the message there also, for that is what I came out to do. And he went throughout Galilee, proclaiming the message in their synagogues and casting out demons. The Gospel of the Lord. In the name of the Holy Trinity, one God. Amen. I'm sure that uh, many of you, if you uh, think back over your life, uh, there's a, for you and, and for me, there's a particular book that really stands out, a book that was uh, somewhat life-changing. For me, that book was written by Viktor Frankl, and the name of it was Man's Search for Meaning. Frankl was a prominent Jewish physician in Vienna. He was a psychiatrist and a neurologist. He was arrested in 1942 by the Nazis and ended up in a concentration camp. He had only been married in December of 1941. So his young wife also went off to the concentration camp, as did his parents. He had an opportunity to avoid all of that. He had a visa for America. But he decided he had to discern whether he was called to be with his family, because he knew they were all going to be taken away, or to go with his wife and start a new life. And he ended up going home one evening, and his father had brought him a piece of marble from one of the temples that had been destroyed by the, by the Germans. And the piece of that uh, temple that he brought home was a bit of, the ten, of one of the Ten Commandments, the one that says, Honor thy father and thy mother. So he decided he would stay. The original title of his book was, Nevertheless, Say Yes to Life. A Psychologist Experiences the Concentration Camp. He wrote this book in nine days. And it's a wonderful book. And if you haven't read it, I would urge you to do so. In it, Frankel tries to answer the question, why did some survive the camps, as he did, and others did not? And his answer was simply one word, meaning. The book, he says, urges us to... Find meaning in all forms of existence, even the most brutal experiences, and in doing so, to find a reason to live. Not long ago, 
I lost a first cousin to suicide. All of us who have experienced that know what a tragic event that is in a family. And it seems to permeate uh, deep into the family, extended family. And of course, like all before us, we were asking questions, you know, what could we have done that might have made a difference? Or what did we do that might have made a difference? And the truth is, there are no easy answers, no good answers to any of that. Suicide is the tenth leading cause of death in the United States. Every 12.8 minutes, someone commits suicide. And we know that it's, it's an epidemic among the veterans who have returned. And the truth is that the healthcare system has failed my cousin and many, many others. Often they cannot get the kind of help they need because they simply cannot afford it. I think that it's time for us to face the reality of suicide in our culture, to be able to talk about it, and for us in the church to say that it is not the sin that cannot be forgiven. They will not be damned to hell because I truly believe that you can have as much psychic pain as you can have physical pain. And who knows how any one of us would deal with it when it came to the point where we simply could not go on. Well, I've thought a lot about his death. And as I thought about it, I thought back to that book uh, by Viktor Frankl. And as I thought about my cousin, I realized that there was no meaning left in his life. There was nothing left for him to live for. Is all he could see was more problems. He had a very complex mental health uh, situation. And I think finally he just gave up on life. The other thing that came to mind as I thought about that book and about him was that Michael also uh, had withdrawn enough because of his mental illness that he had really lost community. He didn't have a church community. He had no professional community. He didn't really even have very good family community. He continued to withdraw. And as I've thought about uh, those two things, finding meaning so there's a, there's a reason to live, and having community, it seems to me that those two things go together. I believe that one of the ways we find meaning is by being connected with other people, being involved in other people's lives, and sharing with other people our own lives. The central thesis for Frankl's book is that we need to find a purpose, a meaning for life. Well, I thought about this as I was uh, preparing this sermon because I saw in this woman, this mother-in-law of Simon Peter, someone who also had lost community and perhaps had lost meaning for her life. The, the story we have in the gospel today really is a continuation of the story from last week. Uh, it's the Sabbath. So the disciples went to the synagogue, and as Becky preached, uh, while they were there, this person with, uh, with an evil spirit was present, and Jesus cast out the evil spirit. And then Mark says that immediately they went to the house of Simon Peter and Andrew. So those, these things, I think, are to be seen together, not, not as uh, separate stories. But when they came to the house, 
they find Simon Peter's uh, mother-in-law incapacitated because of a fever. Now, I think there are a couple of things that we see up front that are worth uh, spending just a moment on. First of all, it's obvious that Simon Peter was married. And I think that often we don't think about the disciples as having any kind of personal domestic life. But if you think about it, if there were 12 Jewish adult males, there probably were some wives and probably some children. And I think the other thing that that presents to us is a different understanding of the kind of sacrifice that the first disciples were making. But perhaps especially in what is unwritten, the sacrifice of their families. Because certainly some of them must have had families that had to kind of make a go of it without this uh, primary householder with them. But beyond that, returning to this woman, she, is, uh, she has a fever, and Jesus comes over to her, and the scripture says, the word that's used is, he, he raises her up. And this is perhaps prefiguring uh, the resurrection of Jesus himself, because the same word is used in that description. He raises her up, and she then begins to serve and prepares a meal, apparently, for these men. Now, that can be troubling to some. <laughs> so I'll try to work through that. <laughs> we have to uh, think about it in the context of uh, the first century. Hospitality was such a hugely important thing in the first century. You had to offer hospitality to anyone who came to your house. And it's still true, as most many of you know, in terms of the Middle East today. Hospitality is of primary importance. And here this woman was uh, unable to do what she understood she was supposed to do. She couldn't live into that which gave her her identity, the woman of the household. Now, perhaps uh, Simon Peter's wife was not living. Some have speculated that. There's also speculation about the fact that she, as a widow, and perhaps with no male family members, had no choice but to live with her son-in-law and with his brother. So her responsibility in that situation, in that community, in that family community, was to provide hospitality. When Jesus restored her, he restored her in health and he restored her to her community. And once restored to her community, she was able to return to the meaning of her life, of what made her who she was. But something else happened. Some say that this mother-in-law of Peter's was the first deacon, because the ministry of a deacon is to serve. And the first thing she does is to serve them, to wait on them. But it's the same word that's used when the angels ministered to Jesus when he was in the wilderness. So, in a sense, Jesus had brought her to a new level of service, the service to him and to the disciples. And in doing so, he gave us the example of what service is. So it's not about being subservient, but rather it's about being called to service, to service of another person, to provide for another person, to meet their need, and to be with them. So I think we see this not just in the example of, of uh, Simon Peter's mother-in-law, but we see this throughout Jesus' healings. Their restoration to health, 
but they're also restoration to that individual's community. Well, today we have our annual meeting, every rector's favorite day, and I couldn't be happier with all the snow. <laughs> That's just a secret. <laughs> Actually, I'm a little disappointed because I think today we have many wonderful things to offer to the parish. And we We'll have to decide if we feel we have enough people here to do all of the reporting that we would like to do. But as you read through the annual reports, I think one of the things that you'll see is that there are wonderful ministries that go on here at Trinity. Uh, there are people engaged in so many ways, and unfortunately, we can't even name all of them because there are so many. But what I see, and I hope that you see as well, is that it is this community that has made it possible for us to find those ministries, that draws those ministries out of us so that we are called to that higher, uh, that higher purpose, that higher meaning that makes life worth living. Life is worth living when we give our own lives for the lives of others. And that's what this parish does. So as we build a new parish house, the whole purpose of that parish house is to provide hospitality, to welcome people in, to be a part of a community of faith. And it's that community that makes all the difference in the world. I'm convinced that people join a particular church not because of what they say they believe and not because of the shape of the building or how beautiful it is or even about what the preaching or the, or the choir sounds like. I think they join a church because of the community that they find therein. And I am so thankful that all of you are the kind of community that welcomes people into it and helps them find this higher purpose, this opportunity that we're all called to, to serve the other. So this day I give thanks that we can join together and celebrate the wonderful things that are happening here at Trinity. And I pray that for each of us, we may continue to have in our lives a clear sense of meaning, of purpose, of a reason to live, and that we give thanks for the communities that we are a part of. Amen.